The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Bible with us this morning, if you will, to just one verse in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. And as you find this passage, you may want to put your Bible ribbon there. We're going to be looking at it, as I will explain in a moment, for several days. Oftentimes in our haste to get to the verse after this, where Paul talks about not getting drunk, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. And many people who love the Lord and who believe in a Spirit-filled life want to look at that verse, but write verse, one verse before that. Equally as emphatic, Paul says this, Wherefore, or therefore, do not be unfoolish, un- do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let's say that verse together, will you? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In the course of my years in Christian ministry, more questions have been asked to me about the will of God than any other single thing. Many questions, but more about this one question than any other single question. Sometimes you come to church, you hear lessons about or sermons about what you need to do is the will of God. Nobody would question that. You know, if I'm a Christian, that's what I know I need to do. The important thing is I can't do the will of God until first of all what? I understand the will of God. And so we're putting the emphasis as best I can on where I think it needs to be. How do we understand the will of God? Now, if you look closely at the verse 17 in Ephesians 5, you'll notice there's both a negative side and a positive side. He tells us something not to do in order to do the right thing. Look at it. He says, therefore, do not be foolish or do not be unwise. I'm not positive why Paul said that, but I think I know. But I imagine in his day and time, he faced the same thing you and I face today about the will of God, and that is this. Hear me carefully. I don't want to be misunderstood. Oftentimes, the will of God gets blamed for many things for which God is not remotely responsible. Sometimes we Christians are the worst perpetrators of that. If we face something that's hard to understand in life, we don't know how to understand tragedies or the inexplicable things, enigmas of life. When we don't know anything else to say, we just say, well, the will of God has been done. Well, dear friend, there's no real comfort in a lie. And many times we just categorically blame God's will for things that we haven't thought through. I remember seeing this vividly several years ago right here in Birmingham. Out on the northwest side of the city, two little boys were going home from a 
Little League baseball game one afternoon, and they stopped at the corner drugstore to get a cold drink. And as they started to leave, the, a stranger offered them a ride home. The oldest lad had been properly taught by his parents, don't ever get in his car with a stranger. But the youngest little boy had lived farther away, and so he accepted the overture from the stranger. And as you might have already surmised, he ended up missing. Several days later, his hacked, maimed, sexually molested body was found in a shallow grave up here outside of Aniana. There was a massive manhunt on for the criminal. The Birmingham News did several stories on it. I still have in my files in my study. One particularly caught my eye. It was about the pastor of the parents of this little 11-year-old boy. He happened to be someone I knew fairly well. And the minister was going to the house, I mean, the a reporter who was writing the story was going to the house where the bereaved parents were to interview them. And as he happened to be coming up to the house, the pastor was leaving the house. And so he took advantage of the situation. And he said, right in the front yard, he asked the minister, how did you explain to them this tragedy? And the minister said, I had a great deal of difficulty convincing them that this was the will of God. Now you listen to me carefully. Whatever you heard me say this morning, that absolutely categorically was not the will of God. Sometimes we go around and say, oh, the will of God has been done. Listen, that's a lie to say something like that. Let's suppose a policeman had been standing there near that store and he saw what was about to happen. And so he stops that man from taking that little boy off of the car and prevents a murder. We're going to say the policeman's interfering with the will of God. Oh, listen, dear friend, the God revealed in Jesus Christ, the God revealed in Holy Scripture does not go around willing that little 11-year-old boys be kidnapped, much less molested, much less murdered. But sometimes we just say, well, the will of God has been done. That's an illustration of why I think Paul said, don't be foolish. Don't just categorically assign to the will of God anything that is hard to understand. Quickly, I want this morning to ask you I want to give you one thing to remember, and then I want to ask you two questions, and I want to tell you then where we're going, okay? The one thing that I want you to remember is this. It's very important as we understand the will of God, and it's this. It's reassuring to me. God wants us to know his will even more than we want to know it. I hear people talk and pray sometimes as if we have to plead with God and beg God, oh, dear God, please let us know your will. Listen, dear friend, God wants you to know his will right now. I don't mean he makes it easy sometimes. It's difficult to understand God's will, but God wants us to know his will. All the way through the Bible, God is a revealing God. God is a disclosing God. The reason we have a Bible, the reason Jesus came was to help us know God. God is a revealing God. And you as parents can understand this. Can you imagine? Uh, my wife and I have two daughters, and they're grown now. But when they were little girls, they're at home, and I say to the oldest one, Joy, I want you to do something. What is it, Dad? I'm not going to tell you. But are you going to do it? 
What is it, Dad? Guess. Now I'm caricaturing a little bit. Can you imagine any sensible parent treating their child that way? If we ask them to do something, we tell them what we want them to do. And hopefully they'll be obedient. Now, at the same time, we sometimes think God does not do that. God wants us to know his will even more than we want to know it. Now, for right now, you're seeking God's will about a pastor. God wants your search committee. God wants our church. God wants that person to know his will so we don't have to try to filibuster God and impress God that eventually God will give in and tell us what his will is. No, God has ways of revealing his will to us. He doesn't zap it to us all of a sudden sometime. But remember, God is a loving God. God is a caring God. And God wants us to know his will even more than we want to know it. Now, that's the one statement. Two questions. They're really the same side of the same, two sides of the same question. Here it is. Number one, do you really want to know God's will for your life? Now, don't just give me a religious answer on Sunday morning. I mean down deep inside. Do you really want to know God's will? You say, well, Charles, anybody? No, 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 be careful now. I think the last thing some of us may want to know is God's will. Why? Because if I knew and did God's will for some of our lives, it would necessitate a radical change in my life right now. And some of us are not quite ready for that. What do you mean, preacher? Well, Don announced here a while ago, you're going to adopt your budget a couple of weeks from now. I happen to believe God teaches that Christians ought to tithe. Oh, you get money in this sermon, preacher. I already don't like you. Hold on, hold on. I'm just telling you, sometimes we say, oh, if I could just know the Lord's will. Pure, plainly, the Bible says the tithe is whose? 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 Then that means it's not mine. It's his. I said you didn't. I, I told you to be prepared. Sometimes we just live, oh, if I could just know God's will. I'm just joking you a little bit, but that's an illustration. Sometimes we glibly say, I want to know God's will. When really, we're not ready to do that because that's the reverse side of that question. Not only am I asking you, <coughs> do you want to know the will of God? But closely akin to that, are you willing to do the will of God if he reveals it to you? If you could know today, whatever you're searching for in your life, if you could know God's will, Let's suppose you're a young adult couple here at this church and God wants you to be a missionary. A what? A missionary. That could be God's will for your life. It would necessitate some radical adjusting and changing. But do you really want to know God's will? And are you willing to do it if God reveals his will to you? Well, hopefully in our better moments, all of us would say, yes, I want to know God's will. And yes, I'm willing to do God's will. Now, with that in mind, what I want us to do these next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about this one verse because it's such a paramount problem, understanding the will of God. Today, we're going to talk about it practically. I'll, look, we'll, I'll give you three words in a moment to help us understand God's will practically. Next Sunday, we're going to look at it biblically. 
There are certain things the Bible says, this is the will of God. One of those has already been on the screen here when we were singing a moment ago, if you paid any attention to it. But I won't go over that with you. We'll look at it again. This is the will of God. Certain things the Bible says, this is God's will. And then on the 26th, we'll look at understanding God's will personally. That's where most of us have our difficulty. That is, understanding God's will for you and you and you and me and all of us personally understanding the will of God. And then on the first Sunday of November, I'm going to preach a sermon that I got from your pastor, Come Before Winter. No, I didn't get it from your pastor. Uh, he and I probably got it from the same source, but it's sermon, only one sermon do I preach every year on the first Sunday of November. It's always this sermon. I'll talk to you more about that, but that's just a little commercial here so it doesn't slip up on you. November the 2nd. But let's come back to this morning. Understanding the will of God practically. Several years ago, there fell into my hand a little paperback book. I didn't agree with everything in the book, and I certainly didn't agree with everything the author had said. His name was Dr. Leslie Weatherhead. For over a quarter of a century, he was pastor of a large church in London, England, City Temple. He was a rather liberal man, but in that little book, he forever put me in his debt about understanding the will of God, and he gave me some words. All these that I'm giving you didn't come from him, but he first made me think about understanding the will of God. And let me suggest to you that when we talk about the will of God, we'll be better served if we can keep these three words separated in our mind. First of all, there is the intentional will of God. There are certain things God intends to happen. We'll come back and look at that in just a moment. Secondly, there's the permissive will of God, or what Weatherhead calls the circumstantial will of God. Under certain circumstances, God permits things to happen that are not his will, but he permits them to happen. You say, why does he do it? We'll try to answer that in just a moment. And then thirdly, there's the ultimate will of God. Ultimately, God is going to bring certain things to pass. Ultimately, God is still in charge. Ultimately, God is going to have the last word. Now, keep those three words, if you will, in mind as we try to understand the will of God. But let's look at them now for just a moment. To begin with, God has an intentional will. And I would suggest to you and me that we'll be safer if we reserve the will of God when we just use that phrase with no descriptions to it, to the intentional will of God. Why? Our English word will connotes intent. Your will for your child is what you intend for them to do. Your last will and testament is what you intend to happen to the residue of your estate when you're dead and gone. So our English word will connotes <coughs> intent. And so God has an intentional will. Where do you find that preacher? Go all the way back to the first book of the Bible. The book of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, you may recall, tell us the story of creation. It starts out that God created the heavens and the earth, and then he creates all the living things in the earth, and every time he creates something, the Bible says, and it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And finally, God creates man. 
made in his image, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. And the Bible said it was very good. Mankind, man, Adam and Eve, were the climax of God's creation. Now, here they are. If you can go back to the book of Genesis in your mind, they have been created by God. God has created everything around them, and God created a perfect world. No sin, nothing wrong with it. It was a perfect creation created by a perfect God. And at this moment, a perfect couple put down in it. And he says to them, you have access to everything in creation. It's all yours. You can use it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't touch it. Leave it alone. And he said, if you don't, you touch it, and you're going to what? Die. Chapter 3 of Genesis, the Satan comes on the scene, and the person of the serpent. You remember what he said to Adam and Eve? It's, I have it in my, mark, in my Bible. The first lie in the Bible is there in Genesis 3. Satan says, you will not surely die. He said, God just wants to keep you having a good time. God wants to keep you being as smart as he is. You go ahead and eat that tree, sweetheart. It's going to be all right. Don't ask you. Anybody seen Adam and Eve walking around Shelby County? You don't even see the tabloids going through the supermarket. Adam and Eve, still alive. Everybody's got sense enough to know what happened to them. You tell me. What did they do? They died. They're still dead today. Why? They did what God said, don't do. And I say that to your mind and mine. When God says don't do it, don't do it. And when God says do it, get busy doing it. But in this instance, back to Genesis 3, God told them what to do and what not to do. They deliberately did what they ought not to do. Why did they do that? Because they had a will. And God had a will. Now you say, preacher, that's not very smart. Why did God create them where they could go against his will? <coughs> that doesn't seem very smart on the part of God. Hold on a minute. God may be smarter than you think he is. God in infinite wisdom knew. And in your better moments, you know the same thing. There is no such thing as coerced love. You can't make somebody love you if they don't want to love you. You know what I'm talking about? One of the frustrations I've had as a pastor sometimes, marriage counseling. You can't get people, two people together if they don't want to get together. You can't make somebody love you that you, they don't want to love you. You can't make somebody have a good time that doesn't want to have a good time. I saw a cartoon a while back, I forget the source, had this mother looked like a, uh, with a little, little boy about four or five years old, and she just wearing him out, giving him a good spanking. It wasn't child abuse. She was saying to him, we came to the zoo to have a good time. You're going to have a good time whether you want to or not. Now, I want to tell you, you ever tried to make a little five-year-old boy didn't want to go to the zoo have a good time? You ain't going to do it. You can spank him till the cows come home. If he don't want to have a good time, he ain't going to have a good time. Now, that's a laughing thing. 
God knows there's no such thing as coerced love. One of the many things I appreciate about my wife is years and years and years ago, when there were only about four billion people in all the world, out of four billion people, she chose me. I wasn't the only one she could have chosen. She had a lot of other choices. She chose me. She didn't have to marry me. She chose to do it. And you know what? That makes me love her more, not less. If somehow she just didn't have a choice. She had to be put up with Carter. You know, I'd always wonder, but if she'd had a choice about this, she might not have chosen me. She did have a choice. And everyone you who are married are married to someone who had a choice. Now, what am I saying? <laughs> That's the dynamic of love. The very fact that you're together is a choice that you made. And if you don't have that, you don't have real love. Why did God create Adam and Eve so they didn't have to obey him? Because he wanted them to love and obey him because they chose to, not because they had to. They didn't have to. And in this instance, they didn't. And so you see, the intentional will of God was, I believe, that man live in perfect fellowship with his creator. I have no question <clears throat> in my mind. Had Adam and Eve never sinned, they would still be alive today. Why? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If they had never sinned, they would still be living today and enjoying a perfect world, and they, created the, they caused the downfall of the human race. Now, here you see the intentional will of God was that man live in perfect fellowship with his Creator. But he made man so free that he was free to do or not to do the will of God. And in this case, Adam and Eve chose not to do it. And that leads us to the second dimension then. That is the permissive will of God. God permits certain things to happen. Even though he's God and in control, he permits certain things to happen that are definitely not his will. When you read the newspaper when you get home or you listen to the TV news tonight, every wrong that you see in the news is filled with wrong deeds. This murder, this kidnapping, this accident, they, they, all these things that go on, they're not the will of God. They're contrary to God's will, and yet they happen. What are we seeing happen? For instance, I believe God hates alcohol and all other drugs. And yet, here's a person in their right mind can drink alcohol. God permits it. They then get in an automobile behind the wheel. God permits it. They then drive down the interstate or the highway or the road. God permits it. They then run over and kill an innocent child and God permits it. But God didn't want any of it to happen. What are we seeing? The permissive will of God. Under the circumstances of the freedom of man, man is free to do things contrary to the will of God. And when he does, tragedies result. God didn't cause it to happen, but God did permit it to happen. Go back to our initial story. That, little, that sex pervert kidnapped that little boy 
It was God's permissive will in operation. God didn't intend it to happen, but he permitted that emotionally deranged individual to do something that was deliberately wrong. Kidnapping and then molestation and then murder. Where is God? God's where he always been, but he's permitting man, made in his image, to assert his will over against God's will. And that's sin. And yet God permits it because there is no such thing as coerced love. God is never going to grab you by the nap of the neck and say, come on, you've got to do my will whether you want to or not. He won't do that. He'll tell us what he wants us to do. He'll reveal it to us. But then we have to obey and respond. There is the permissive will of God where God permits so much that goes on in our world to happen contrary to his nature. Now quickly, that doesn't mean poor old God is up in heaven pulling his hair out saying, I don't know what I want to do with the world. Everything has gone awry. No, God is still in control. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got you and me in his hand. And God understands what you're going through today. And one day, I promise you, one day, God is going to bring history to a worthy conclusion in his own time. And nobody knows when. Anytime you read anybody or hear any preacher say that Jesus is coming at a certain time, you can not rock it down. It's a lie. Nobody knows when. Not even the angels in heaven. But God does. And when God says it's over, it's over. And Jesus is coming again. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. We which are still alive are going to be caught up together with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what we know is going to happen. That's the ultimate will of God. Maybe you can see it better this way. If you'll go with me for just a moment to the cross of Calvary. For at the cross, I see all three dimensions of the will of God pictured there. First of all, you see at the cross, the only perfect man who ever lived being murdered. He didn't have to. He chose to die. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels. But what did he do? He died alone for you and me. But at the cross, Jesus is there suffering for the sins of the world. Little girl heard the story of the cross and said to her mother, Mother, if God had been there, he wouldn't let it happen, would he? Well, that's the way a child looking at it would think. But darling, God was there. Why? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. God was there, but God so loved the world. You, 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 me, each one of us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And there the intentional will of God is seen. That cross is the gigantic divine exclamation point. God wants you to be saved. If God had his way, every single lost person would be saved. Now they're not going to be because they've chosen not to be, but if God had his way, everyone would be saved. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. We'll look at that next Sunday. But here it is. The cross, first of all, you see the intentional will of God. It's there to reveal how much God loves us and that he wants us to be saved. 
but also you see the permissive will of God. Circumstantial, if you prefer. God permitted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. He permitted the hypocritical Pharisees to plot his crucifixion. He permitted the Roman soldiers to nail the nails in his hand and his feet and run the spear through his side. He permitted it. And he permitted his own son to hang six hours on the cross. Where's God? Doesn't he care? Even Jesus, you remember, asked that middle word of the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's all right to ask those kind of questions. The nearest answer I can give you is God was where he's always been. He was in the business of loving and saving people and this was simply something that had to be done for the sins of mankind to be forgiven. But God forsaking God, Martin Luther said, who can understand that? It's the permissive will of God in operation. And at three o'clock on Friday afternoon, the only perfect man who ever lived, died. They took him down for the cross. Friday afternoon, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, the devils in hell are dancing in glee. We won, we won, we won. Wrong has triumphed over right. Hate has triumphed over love. Satan has triumphed over God. Don't you believe it, dear friend? On that third day, as we sang about, triumphant over sin, death, hell, and the grave, God raised Jesus from the dead, never to die again. Amen. That, dear friend, is what it's all about. That's the ultimate will of God. When God came into that, that tomb and brought his son three days later, up from the dead, and one day we'll send him back to this earth. That's God having the last word. That's why you know that ultimately we're not worried. I, I, I see the world getting worse and worse and worse. I don't know what's going to happen to ISIS. I don't know what's going to happen to ISIL. I don't know what's going to happen to terrorism. I know this, God is still on the throne. And ultimately his will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's the ultimate dimension to God's will. Now come back to my question. Do you really want to know God's will? And if you do it, are you willing today to do the will of God? Listen again to Paul. Wherefore, he says, or therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you know it, are you willing to do it today? Let's bow together for just a moment. And with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Thank you for your being here and for being so attentive. But now we come to the main decision. What am I going to do with God's will? If you're not a Christian, I want to promise you you don't ever, ever have to worry about whether God wants you to be saved or not. He does. And he said he gave his son that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here this morning and you're not absolutely certain that you're a Christian, right here, 
right now, October the 12th, 2014, the First Baptist Church of Pelham, you can come to know God. His will is that you know him. If you're living here and you're a Christian, you don't have a church home, we would be delighted to welcome you to First Baptist. You say, what I do, Charles, in a moment when we begin to sing the invitation hymn, don't even sing, just slip out to the nearest aisle. Come, walk this aisle. One of our staff or I will meet you right here at the front. Come trust in Christ. He will save you, I promise. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a revealing God, a disclosing God. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us a choice that we don't have to do your will in order that we might choose to do it and love you more. For those who need to make decisions today, dear Lord, lead them by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us? And as we stand, Paula leads us in our invitation hymn. You respond to God's invitation right now. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.